Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Schweitzer today. We're glad you're here. I'm Jim, and I serve as a pastor. It's my privilege to worship with you. Wherever you're at, we're glad you're here. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series. It's called Peace on Earth, as we explore how God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he gives us the promise of peace everywhere on the earth and for everybody. Pastor Spencer's going to lead us we're excited about this uh, series and this message today. God has a message for us all. If you're a first time guest with us, really glad you're here. Thanks for being here. We have a gift card for you, a, Star a Starbucks digital gift card. We'll send that right out to you. Just check in with us. We'd love to do that. Also, if these messages are encouraging to you, invite somebody else to join in. Join us for worship. We'd really appreciate that. Now we're going to check in with uh, Stephanie, who's going to tell us more about what's going on at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. This month we are partnering with Pittman Elementary to supply all kinds of gifts for their school store. This store allows students to select items either for themselves, for friends, or for family members. Everything from toys to board games to clothing items are needed, and you can find an online wish list at sumc.co slash Christmasgifts. We hope you've marked your calendars for all of our special Christmas with Schweitzer events coming up. Remember, Carols and Candlelight start December 20th through the 23rd at 6 p.m. outside right here on campus. We'll have a stage set up right outside our main entrance with a 30-minute service featuring carols, candlelight, and a special message. My favorite part is that you can even enjoy this experience from your car. We'll even have a special gift for guests and hot cocoa and cider to go. However, we still have some volunteer opportunities for this event. If you'd like to be a part of the luminary or the event setup, you can find out more details and sign up at sumc.co slash Christmas. After our in-person events, we'll go virtual for our Christmas Eve services. And make note of this, Sunday, December 27th, we will be online only for our church services that day. Christmas Eve is gonna be extra special with our online services beginning at 10 a.m., running on the hour, every hour, all day through midnight. If you let us know ahead of time that you're gonna be attending the Christmas Eve online services, we'll even send you a watch party kit. Find out more details at sumc.co slash Christmas. Thanks, Stephanie. If you're worshiping with us live today, there's a chat feature on your screen. Go ahead and engage. Say hello to your friends and join in the conversation. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, there's a prayer button. We would love to pray with you. And now on this day that God's given us, let's worship together. Let's join in the joy of Christ. KJ is going to lead us. Let's worship.
Noel, Noel, born is the King of Israel. Noel, 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 born is the King of Thanks, KJ. And now we come to a time of prayer together. We thank God for the gift of prayer. It matters, it changes us, it changes the world. And it is a real gift to us from God. In our praying today, we're going to begin with lighting the Advent candle. We're in the Advent season, where these four weeks that lead up to Christmas, we're preparing. We're preparing our hearts and minds for the coming of Jesus as we wait and we anticipate. And again, we prepare to celebrate uh, Christ. Today we begin with lighting the Advent candle, and this is the joy candle. And as I light this, I invite you to hear these words. We light this candle as a symbol of Christ our joy. Make the joyful promise of your presence, O God. Make us rejoice in our hope of salvation. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. And now we pray, Lord, the, the prayer you taught us. Long ago, we pray it with boldness and confidence today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hi, I'm Krista Rosenbaum. I'm your Community Impact Director here at Schweitzer. I'm so excited for this new holiday season as Schweitzer helps to launch a new community development organization called Flourish. One of the ministries in Flourish is Coach House. Coach House is a transitional house for women where we help mentor, encourage them, and set them on a path to be successful living on their own. One of the ladies who graduated from Coach House, Amber O'Neill, has a wonderful quote to share with us. I felt at home, loved, and invited. No one cared what my past was. I was seeking God, and that was all that mattered. Amber's story is one of hope and one we know that can be repeated in many stories to come. Let us take a moment to hear from Jim as he shares about the history behind Flourish. It begins with a simple question, what if? In 2003, Ed Hewlett first asked, what if? What if we opened a food pantry to meet the needs of hungry families in our community? In the first year of operation, the people of Schweitzer, through the pantry, provided food for more than 300 people. This ministry continued to grow helping more than 16,000 people in the first decade of existence. Schweitzer quickly became a source of encouragement, hope, and prayer to the community around us. In 2010, this ministry grew exponentially as it moved to the Outreach Center. This larger space allowed us to serve more individuals and partner with local organizations in a new way. The 6,000 square foot warehouse also became a supply hub for a dozen other pantries in Southwest Missouri which meant we were helping serve over 100,000 people each year. As the numbers grew, we continued to see and to witness that the needs were greater than food. We saw an opportunity to join people in their journey. We began to shift our focus from being for people to being with people. We began to ask, what if? What if we could provide more than food on a monthly basis, but could also encourage and equip people in a deeper way? What if we offered structured support 
and hope. Hope through job training, addiction recovery, and transitional housing. What if we opened a neighborhood garden where neighbors could get to know one another and grow produce in a shared space? Soon, the spirit that started the food pantry sprouted into new areas of outreach, including the Life Change Plan, Jobs for Life, the Coach House Ministry, and a neighborhood garden. By shifting our focus, we have witnessed deep transformation in the lives of people all around Schweitzer. This transformation has allowed people to truly flourish. For the past decade, the city of Springfield has strived to address the poverty rate, yet it remains at 25%. And while there are many good programs in our community, few have had the success rate we have found through a new method of outreach here at Schweitzer. A method that focuses on restoring a sense of value, dignity, and self-worth in people's lives, while also providing life skills. Take a look at these facts. 85% of participants in our life change program have remained healthy, not relapsing back into addiction. More than 70% of Jobs for Life graduates have improved their job standing, going from part-time to full-time, or from no job to a job. Additionally, one local company has hired 21 Jobs for Life graduates, and their internal stats say graduates of this specific program have a 30% higher rate of staying and succeeding than those hired another way. So, with a growing desire to see even more lives transformed in our community and beyond, here at the end of 2020, we're once again asking, what if? What if we took a big step as a church to help launch a community development corporation that would allow us to expand further, to reach even more people? This means that this Christmas season, we're asking you to join us in helping launch Springfield's first community development corporation, Flourish. Following Jesus, Flourish will launch with the mission of standing with our neighbors in need pursuing healing through relationships of reconciliation and investing in economic and leadership development in our community. We believe this is a tremendous opportunity to leave a legacy that goes beyond the walls of Schweitzer and an opportunity to impact future generations of flourishing people that we hope and believe will say, I love my life. Thank you for joining with us and asking the brave question of, what if, as we trust God who is also with us? That's Flourish. Thanks, Krista, for your ministry. And to be a part of Flourish, I know you're asking that. You can do this in several ways. And we're asking you to really consider to be praying for Flourish. Also, how would you serve? How would you consider serving God through this new initiative, this ministry, uh, this new organization? Also, Consider being generous. How would you give to support this new ministry that will change so many lives? Go to the Flourish website to learn more. We appreciate your generosity. It really matters. And we also really, really appreciate your ongoing giving, your generosity year-round to support the ministries here on this campus, the Ozarks, and really around the world. And so to do that, we give our weekly and regular offering at the link sumc.co. Again, thanks so much for your giving.
God is so good and we're grateful. Now we're going to hear a God story. Each week this year at Schweitzer, we've been hearing about how God is moving and transforming lives, where God is connecting with people in various ways on this campus and around the Ozarks and beyond. So today we're excited to hear a God story that involves a person, a young person of faith here named Madeline Jarrett. Let's watch. Um, so we've been coming here for about a year and I'm pretty involved in youth and just like, like helping out like on Sunday mornings and then recently uh, through quarantine and COVID and whatnot we uh, we started watching online services and still staying like connected with with everyone here. Okay so at the beginning of 2019 um, I made my news resolution and it was to lose weight which at that point I was like, like a little bit overweight, okay. And so my end goal was to be fit by summer because I wanted to wear a bikini and get all of the beautiful pictures and everything. And then March and April came around and that's whenever things really started to change because I started to really focus on the scale and the weight and the numbers instead of focusing on how I was feeling physically and mentally. Yeah, like like my parents knew what was going on and we had had a lot of discussions about it. And like like I totally knew how much they cared because they, they showed it to me all the time and like it, and they were so worried. Like like my whole family was worried. My mood improved drastically. I wasn't as tired anymore, and I was just like, and yeah, and it was great. The, the recovery for it is hard, and it's hard to like to overcome that, to overcome these thoughts, these feelings that I have been feeling for months. Um, and yeah, but at this point, I just, I pray about it, and I'm like, 
hey, like, I just, I need help again because I, I know that I can't go through this. And yeah, so like, so I'm definitely better about this, like, and smarter, like, in eating stuff again, and like, and, and being able to just like enjoy myself with, with my friends without having to be like, like the one who always orders a salad with like no dressing, or like, like, oh, one slice of pizza. No, like, like now I'm like, like going out like for ice cream and just like having fun and like, and being just like a typical teenager. I, I've actually talked to people who have gone through it, and I just want to tell you that you are not alone and that I promise you that you are beautiful and that God loves you because He, he made you to, to be who you are, like, and He made you beautiful in His time. If, if our God can make, um, can make everything in the world and like, make one of you too, I mean, like, just, just think about how beautiful that is. And yeah, so just so, so talk to someone, talk talk to like to like a loved one, like or a parent, or just or just talk to God because you know what He He's there to help you, and He's listening, and He He just He loves you. My name is Madeline Jared, and this is just the beginning of my story. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer, and I want to say thank you for Madeline for sharing her story today. That's number 50. We've done 50 of these 52 stories. So many people have shared how God is at work in their life. It's so great. So thank you, Madeline, for sharing your story uh, with us today. Now, today we're going to be in part three of this series called Peace on Earth, where we're looking at this promise that we have about the birth of Jesus. When the angels showed up that night in Bethlehem and they sing to the shepherds, that's what they sing about. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And, and I just, I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up 2020 than exploring this promise of peace because this year has been anything but peaceful. It has been stressful and anxious and chaotic. And so we're spending the last few weeks here, this, this four weeks of Advent, uh, exploring this promise of peace uh, that, that, that comes to us through, through Christ. Now, as we do this, we're reading through these four prophecies. Four weeks, we're reading four prophecies about Jesus, four prophecies from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And each time we read through these prophecies, really what we're seeing is just this big picture promise that we have in Christ. We're, we're seeing the, the big picture promise that we have in, in the Messiah and what he brings for us. And so we're looking at these four prophecies to see this. And, and really, my goal with this series is pretty simple. I just want to remind you some things you already know. So as we think about these big picture promises, these big picture promises of peace, that's really what we're seeing are, are just four promises, four reminders of, of some truth that you already know, because this is a, that's a helpful thing to remember on this, this hard year, just to be reminded of, of what we already know. Now, I think it'd be helpful as we get into this today, but kind of track a little bit where we've been and also maybe look at where we're heading today so we kind of see where we're at here. And so if you'll remember, we, we started last week, we looked at this, uh, this promise of peace in the Bible and what it looks like in the Bible, this big picture promise of peace. And in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is a very famous word that we've translated in English. The word is shalom. And so as we explored the idea of shalom, we saw that it's not just about not fighting or, or being calm or tranquil, some, some of the ways we might think about peace, but really shalom is about like things like restoration and wholeness and forgiveness. It's about, it's about broken things be coming together. And, and really, shalom is, is kind of just shorthand for God's will. It is what God wants for all of us. God wants his favor, his goodness to be poured out in our lives. And he doesn't just want it for us. He wants it for everybody. That's the promise. It's peace on earth. It's not just for us and the churchgoers. It's for everybody. And so we're exploring this, this promise of how it's for everybody. Now, as, as you talk about this promise of peace, of course, there, there is an unstated tension in this that we haven't talked about yet. And that's what we're going to talk about this week and next week. Because on one hand, we have this promise of peace, shalom. It's going to be spread to the whole earth. It's about broken things being made whole. It's about life being full. It's about restoration. That's, that's the promise on one hand. So on one hand, we have this promise. And then, and then the other hand, we have reality. We have what the world really looks like right now. And, and as you think about these two things, they, they don't go together. There's a gap between the promise and reality. So what do we do with this gap? How do, we, how do we handle this as followers of Christ, these believers in this promise? How do we handle this? And that's what we're going to talk about this week and next week. This week, we're going to talk about how we think about this gap. And next week, we're going to talk about what we do about this gap. How do we handle this gap between the promise and, and, and what is? So today, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Again, here is a promise, a prophecy about what the Messiah is going to do. So verse chapter 11, verse 1, here's how this starts. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, 
a branch will bear fruit. Now, this may not look like it's about Jesus, but, but it is. Uh, this prophecy is written 700 years before Jesus is born. And, and as you read about this, this stump of Jesse, you're, you're remembering the Old Testament. You're remembering how Jesse is the father of David, as in King David, David and Goliath David. And uh, as you think about the Old Testament, how it fits together, you also know that, that David is God's like ideal king for Israel. The Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. If you read through the Psalms, the longest book of the Bible, you're gonna see that David wrote most of them, that he was this is active leader. And, and in the Bible, David is portrayed then as the like the ideal king. He is the one that is the standard that every other king is gonna be judged by. But David, at this point in the writing, is long gone. He's been dead for at least 200 years when this prophecy is written. 200 years. And as you read through this prophecy, you think about just this opening line here, you, you realize that really what Isaiah is doing in Isaiah 11 verse 1 is he's making a, like a political point. Like he's, he's writing politically here about his day and, and really he's making a, a dig at all of the kings that have come because to call it the stump of Jesse is to say that this dynasty that God had promised David, that his descendants would rule Israel for the ages, that now it's a stump, it's, it's dead. It's not fulfilling its purpose. It's, it's failed us. The kings have failed us because while God gave David this promise that his descendants would rule in uh, David's place for the ages, the kings that came after David, his descendants, were terrible. I mean, most of them were just terrible. And so Isaiah 11 starts off with this, dig at all of these kings who have come and how they've failed, but there's hope. Because out of this stump, out of this death, out of this failure, there's gonna be a branch. And notice it's spelled with a capital B because the branch he's describing is a person. And we, of course, know who the descendant of David is. We, of course, know that what he's describing here is the Messiah. And he's gonna go on, he's gonna describe what does it look like when the Messiah reigns and when he rules. And so verse two is the description of what this looks like. Verse two says this, it says, the spirit of the Lord, will rest on him, that is the branch that's coming out of the stump, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. In other words, he is going to be the ideal king and he's gonna rule in the way that David ruled. He's gonna rule in the way that God wants him to. He is the branch that's coming forward. And when he is in charge, this is what the, the result is gonna be. Verse six says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. It says the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I just love that line. Verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, that is the branch, the Messiah who's gonna come, he will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. And so as the angels uh, show up that day, that night in Bethlehem, the shepherds are tending to their flocks, and they start to sing about the Messiah who's been born, and they sing about glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Like this is what they're singing about. This vivid picture of what peace looks like. Now, I, I know Isaiah 11 is not like what you expect to hear, you know, when it comes to Christmas, because we didn't read about one star or manger or no, no angels were present. Instead, we're reading about oxes and cows and, and vipers and all these kinds of things. But this is really a Christmas passage. And really, even though it doesn't feel like Christmas, like this is something we should read every Christmas because it's such a great reminder of what Christmas is. So I, you may not think of this as a Christmas passage, but it really, really is. In fact, I don't know if you've done your Christmas cards yet, but I can just picture how this would go so well if you just got a picture of your family and you just put something on there like, like the child will play near the viper's den, you know, Merry Christmas with love from the Smiths. It'd be great because it's such a great description of, of what Christmas is and, and what we have with this promise here that there is gonna be peace. There's gonna be wholeness. 
There's not going to be violence. There's not going to be death or destruction. There is going to be um, mending and, and forgiveness and life together. This is the, the picture of what we have with shalom. It's, it's, it's this beautiful image, which of course then also brings us back to this tension that we started with. Remember, we started this tension. We said, you know, on one hand, we have this promise. Shalom, peace, spreading to the earth, the wolf living with the lamb, the, the, the bear eating straw like the ox. Like it, there's, there's peace. And then on the other hand, though, there's reality because our world doesn't look like this. There's a gap here. So what do, what do we do with this? I mean, our world doesn't look anything like this. I mean, the reality of what we see around us looks, looks exact opposite of this. I mean, think about the state of our world right now. I mean, think about things like this. Today, like not yesterday, not 10 years ago, today. Today, around the world, about 25,000 people are going to die of starvation. 10,000 of those people will be children. Tomorrow, another 25,000 people about 10,000 of them will be children, will die of starvation. The day after that, about 25,000 people, another 10,000 of them will be children, will die of starvation. That's the reality of the world today. Or think about this, today, um, around the world, 10,000 people will die today because they don't have access to clean water, which is just staggering to me. I mean, something I take for granted when I turn on my faucet every day, but 10,000 people around the world today will die because they don't have clean water. Tomorrow, another 10,000 people will die because they don't have clean water. The day after that, another 10,000 people will die because they don't have clean water. It's just staggering. Or think about this. Today, not hundreds of years ago, but today, somewhere, we don't have an exact answer, but somewhere between 40 and 70 million people live as slaves. Did you know that? 40 to 70 million people live in slavery. And, and by the way, that, that number is growing, not shrinking. Or, or think about this, uh, today, not years ago, but today, about 40% of the earth's population, that's like 3 billion people, 40% of the earth's population will live off of $2.50. About a billion of those people will live off of $1.25. Like this is the reality of the world. This is what our world is really like. So, you know, Merry Christmas. I'm sure that's why you came to church today, to hear how bad the world is. But this is the tension we have. Because on one hand, we have this promise, but on the other hand, we have things like I just shared with you, the reality of what our world is really like. And so what do we do about this? Because our world does not look like peace. It does not look like shalom. Our world does not look like the, the wolf lying down at the lamb or the child playing near the cobra's den. That's not what it looks like. Instead, what our world looks like, it looks like uh, millions and billions of people struggling every single day just to keep their heads above water. It looks like people being stepped on and oppressed. It looks like injustice. It looks like all kinds of things that are wrong. And you, and you look at this promise and you look at this reality and you, and you can't help but wonder like, what do you do about this? How do you make sense of this? As a follower of Jesus, as someone who believes in this promise, like what do we do with this? How do we, how do we make sense of this? And well, so this is this week and next week. We're gonna talk about this. And today I wanna think like, how do we think about this? How do we even begin to wrap our minds around this gap between the promise of shalom and the reality of our world. And, and I see people respond in, in several ways to, to this gap. And, and I, I say this, I'm gonna say these things, no judgment what I'm about to say because I see these things in myself, but, but I see lots of, a few different ways that, that people respond, lots of people respond to this, this gap, this reality of how we see in the world. And, and one of the ways that sometimes people respond to this, this problems that we see is that we get, we get depressed. Like sometimes you look at the world and you see the things that are wrong. You see people, the slaves in the world or people dying of hunger, starvation, not having clean water, these really overwhelming things. And that's how you feel. You just feel overwhelmed because you're like, what can I do? What, what could I do? I just, I just feel depressed. I remember the first time I ever saw extreme poverty. I was in Haiti. The first time I went to Haiti. And I went to this family's home. I was in this family's home. And, and to call it like, like a house is, is hard to, to say because really this home was built off of anything that these people could find. Nothing was really stable, like stable building materials, like wood or cinder blocks. It was, it was like, I found a tarp or I found a whole bunch of Walmart bags or I found, uh, I found a plastic crate or something like that. And I, and I tried to put it together to make my house. And I was in this family's home 
And they, they offered me this meal of rice. And I'm looking around their home with their dirt floor. And I'm looking through their ceiling with their tarp with has the holes in it. And I'm thinking there's a dirt floor with the tarp. That's not going to keep any rain out. And we're in the Caribbean. It rains all the time. Like this just has to be a muddy mess. And, and I'm looking at their children who are my kids age. And, and, and my kids have like everything they need. And these kids don't really have anything. I mean, they, they have a home that's made out of just whatever they could find. And, and they're offering me this meal. And, and I'm like fighting back tears as they're offering me this rice because I'm just thinking to myself, this isn't right. This is wrong. Like, this is not how people should live. This, this is terrible. And, and these are people that were born in the image of God, and these are people that Jesus died for, and, and they're living not in shalom. They're living just barely to get by, and this, this is just it, just, it just broke my heart. And, and I thought to myself, like, what do I do? I mean, I could give you money. I probably have more money on me than you make in a year. So I could, maybe I could give you money. And, uh, but that's not really going to solve the problem because if I look through the holes in the tarp at the houses around you, they're in the same boat as you are. Like, it's not going to actually solve it. So sometimes we look at what's wrong with the world and it's just like, oh, it's so depressing. You just kind of think to yourself, what could I do? It's so overwhelming. You just kind of throw your hands up in the air and, and be like, I, I don't even know what I can, I don't even know where to start. And that's, that's kind of how some, sometimes we respond to this. Or, or sometimes you see what's wrong with the world. And you don't get depressed, you get angry. And you get on Twitter and you tell people about it. And you start to tell people about what's wrong with the world and you start to post about it and you get angry with it. And sometimes when you get angry, you have this thing that you say, which I think is really interesting. And I don't say this in judgment because I myself say this from time to time. And we say this thing when we get angry about what's wrong with the world. We say this, like something like this. We say, um, man, it's 2020. How in the world could, and then fill in the blank, X, Y, or Z, how in the world could, you know, extreme poverty still happen? It's 2020. How in the world could this still be a thing? Or, or maybe over the summers we watched this racial reckoning with our, with our nation. We thought to ourselves, it's 2020. How in the world could there still be racism? Like it's 2020. How in the world could X, Y, or Z, whatever it is that's got you angry, how in the world could this thing still happen? Which is a really interesting thing to say if you think about what that is implying because it's implying really a couple things. One, uh, you, you recognize that something's wrong. And, and two, somehow we think that the collective power of humanity should have solved this, which is really interesting because the, the ones who got us into this problem, humanity, we also think humanity is the one who's going to solve the problem, which is to me a logical inconsistency. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work and nor has history proven that to be true. I mean, the last hundred years are the most bloody hundred years ever. Humanity doesn't have a great track record of solving all these problems, but somehow we put our hope that humanity together, that we can solve all of these problems. And as 2020, we should have progressed beyond this by now, but that's just like, it's logically inconsistent to me. So let me offer you another way. As a follower of Jesus, how can we think about these things? How do we think about this gap between the promise and the reality? And so let's talk about Christmas. Or rather, let's talk about Advent. Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus. And uh, for about 1,500 years, Christians have celebrated Advent. It's not in the Bible, but it's a tradition that we've held for 1,500 years. And, and in this tradition of Advent, we celebrate the coming of Christ. But not just the coming of Christ that you're thinking of. Because yes, we do celebrate the coming of Christ as a baby and we sing Silent Night and Away in a Manger and we have a Christmas Eve service and celebrate how he has come for us as a baby. But we also in Advent, traditionally at least, we celebrate how Christ has come in two other ways. Advent is about how he came as a baby. It's also about how he, this baby grew up and he became a man who died and rose again and how he comes out of the grave victorious. And Advent is also the remembrance and the anticipation of how this baby who grows and is now resurrected will return as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, how he will return victorious to destroy death and evil once and for all. In fact, when this Messiah returns, this, the second coming of the Messiah, uh, we relish and we remember the, the peace that he is going to bring to us. The end of the Bible, Revelation, describes this peace that comes when the Messiah returns. Let me read to you how Revelation describes the reality of the new earth that the Messiah is going to bring. This is Revelation chapter 21. John, who wrote this, this is what he says. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. He said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Listen, listen, listen. He says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The bear will eat straw like the ox. This is what we're reading here, right? There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. 
He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Once again, this is not a passage that we normally read at Christmas time, but we should. Because Revelation 21, Isaiah chapter 11, they may not sound like traditional Christmas Advent passages, but they're exactly about this, the hope that we have of what Christ can do. Because yes, we celebrate that Jesus came, he was born to us as a baby, but we also celebrate the man that he became and what he did for us. That he defeated death and sin and evil and he walked out of that grave victorious and we celebrate how he will return as king. The Bible tells us that when he returns and he establishes this new earth and this new heaven, he's not gonna come born into obscurity like he did the first time. He's gonna come as a king riding on a war horse, ready to finish what he started, ready to make the wrong things right, ready to mend the brokenness, to bring about this new order because the old order of things has passed away where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because there will be peace, shalom spread for everyone. We're all invited to this kingdom that he is initiating. See, Advent, Advent, it's the hope that God's not done with us. And it's the hope that he's gonna come and he's gonna return and finish all that he started. In 1719, there was a, a poet who wrote about this kind of idea that the king is going to return. He's going to solve these problems and he's going to make the wrong things right and bring justice where there's injustice. Uh, he is the one who's going to bring about this kingdom where the wolf will lie down with the lamb and there will be this, this new way of living. And, and so this poet write about, wrote about this and uh, years later, 25, 30 years later, someone else put it to music. And, and eventually this poem, while not intended to be a Christmas song, became a Christmas song. In fact, it became the most published Christmas song of all time. You know the words, but originally it was written as a poem. So I just want to read to you some of this poem. And, and don't think about this just about Christmas. Think about this poem as I read this more about the the hope that we have, not just that he came once, but that he's coming again to rule and to reign. And so I, I think about these words from this very famous poem. It goes like this. A joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. In this famous Christmas song, there's not one mention of a manger and in a star. There's not one mention of a baby because this is about the return of the king and when he comes, how he makes everything right. You see, in Advent, we don't just celebrate a baby. We celebrate the man that he became and the victory that he won. And we celebrate his return as we anticipate what he is going to do because this king who is returning is initiating a kingdom. A kingdom where there will be peace, shalom spread to everybody. Shalom spread across the world. And so, and so as we look at this, this world and this gap between what, what the promise is and what the reality is, uh, we, we don't get depressed and throw our hands up in the air and be like, ah, oh, what could I possibly do to make a difference? And, we don't get angry and just tweet out all the things that we're angry about or, or put our hope just in the collective wisdom of humanity. No, 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 We look at this gap between the promise and what is in our world and, and we look at it with, with hope that a king is returning to make all things right. We look at it with, with a hope knowing that this king is gonna transform the earth and that he is going to make the, the kind of place where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because he has returned to finish what he started. We hope. And we don't hope passively, just twirling our thumbs, waiting for his return. No, we, we hope expectantly, knowing that even today, while we wait for him, he is still transforming lives and active in the world. We, we wait expectantly. And, and because we expect him and because we, we know he's at work in the world, we, we go into the world to serve, to share with those who are in need, to, to serve those who, who are lost, to, to bring everyone and anyone into this kingdom and to invite them into following him because, because we know that today, not just when he returns, but today he has the power to transform lives. Today, he has the power to transform families. Today, he has the power to transform communities. This is our hope that we have, that he is able to do this. He is able to do this. And so we wait with hope and expectations. Which by the way, this is why we're launching Flourish. Because we hope and we expect that this king is gonna return, that he's gonna make all things right. 
And in the meantime, we are working to invite everyone and anyone into his kingdom. And so today, as I started, I said, you know, my, my goal is simple. I just, like, I want to remind you some things you already know. And, and today, I just, I just want to remind you that while uh, there is this gap between the promise and the way that the world really is, there is a king who is returning. And when he returns and establishes his kingdom, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The ox will lie down with the donkey, or the, the bear will lie down with the donkey, the, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the child will play near the cobra's den because there will be peace. And this is what he does. And so we can see the world in all of its brokenness and we can have hope. We can have hope that God hasn't given up on us and that he is at work and that he is inviting us, he is inviting you, he is inviting everybody into his kingdom. Let's pray together. And so Father, today um, uh, we put our hope in you. And that while we look at the world and there's all kinds of problems, there's all kinds of things that get us depressed, all kinds of things that feel overwhelming. And we could just list, list, and list, and list these things. But Lord, our hope is in you. That you are able to accomplish change, transformation, and that you haven't given up on us. And so may we be a people who live into the hope, the hope of the gospel, the hope of a new earth and a new heaven, the hope of transformation, the hope of a kingdom that is coming to this earth, the hope that you haven't given up on us and that you have a plan for us and that we can live expectantly with you. And so, Father, we put our hope and our trust in you. In the name of Jesus today we pray. Amen. It's been great to share today with you and I, and I hope that you've experienced uh, the Lord today as we've worshiped together and, and celebrated who He is and what He's doing and how He's going to return for all of us. Um, today I want to say thank you for those who made this happen, for Jim and KJ, for Stephanie. I want to say a thank you for Cindy for leading, uh, Madeline for sharing your story, and the choir for leading us in Joy to the World. How great is that? So thank you so much for offering your gifts. You make a real difference in the church um, every single week. Hey, if this has been helpful for you or you think there's somebody who would benefit from hearing this, listen, I, share this message, share this service out with your friends, your family. It's a great way to spread the good news message that God has not given up on us and that we can have hope. And this is the message of Advent, message of Christmas that the King is going to return. Hey, have a great week. God bless you. Amen. Amen.